The Bar Star Podcast, hosted by Stephen O'Reilly, is a podcast about working musicians, their friends, and their opinions. Stephen is a musician in Louisville, Kentucky, who has... Wait a second. This guy's a drummer, not a real musician? Somebody gave a drummer a microphone for his voice? The hell? Unreal. Unbelievable. To another episode of the Bar Star Podcast. I am your host, Stephen O'Reilly. I want to thank you guys for coming back to hang out with me once again. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody had a good week. And as always, I hope you guys went out and did some shit. Please make sure you check out my sponsor, Prophecy Inc. You go into the shop and you will get 10% off your tattoo by any artist in the shop. I am not flying solo today. I am hanging out with my estranged buddy. And I say estranged because we don't talk every day. But that's the kind of friendship we have, and that's okay. A one Mr. Jesse Vest. Hello. How are you, sir? I've been called strange many times. (laughs) Once or twice, I'm sure you have. Uh, Estranged. (laughs) No, listen, you can... That is a... The friendship I have with you is not much different than the friendships I have with a lot of people. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's I'm the kind of person that uh, I can go years without seeing or even talking to somebody, and then somebody will come up and say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, dude's my, one of my best friends. Yep. It's just the way that I run my life, and you know, it's not always for the best. But I, you know, my, a lot of my friendships are that way. But there's there's nothing wrong with that. I, uh, I was having a conversation about this the other day. Um, I have a really, really good friend of mine lives in Atlanta, and I probably haven't talked to him in four years. Mm. But the last time we talked on the phone, it was like it was, we talked two days ago. Oh, yeah. You just pick right up where you left off. Absolutely. And I think people that have those friendships, to me, those are the more real friendships. Because you're not not talking to each other because you feel like you have to. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So, I think you and I have that. We don't talk to each other because we feel like we have to. Every time we see each other, it's the same. Hey, dude, what's going on? How's things? And we move on. Exactly. We don't have, let's be honest. There's a lot of shit in my life you don't care about. Well, yeah. It's a fact. I don't give, yeah, I don't care at all. As you should. Uh, No, you know, most of my, like I said, most of my friendships, with the exception of the the guys in the band, you know. Well, you have to talk to them because they'll blow your damn phone up if you don't. I I have to talk to them because (laughs) I work with them. Uh, Obviously, uh, my wife and my family, I talk to them every day. Right. But as far as, you know, maintaining friendships are not my strong suit. But most of my friends are guys that I would absolutely take, I would take bullets for them. Right. But I don't remember to call them on their birthday. You know what I mean? It's, it is it's that it kind is. of thing. Yeah, and, and I get it. I, I know a lot of people like that. So, I just did your show, and that was hard, because you have a clean show, and I'm all foul-mouthed and shit, and that sucked, I, in a good way, but it sucked. Well, you know, life, <laughs> you should always try to challenge yourself in life. You know what I mean? I, I should win a medal or something. Well, you got to work out those skills, man, those little parts of your brain. <laughs> You usually operate with no filter. It's good to throw a filter on every once in a while just to see if you can do it. How'd I do? You did very well. I'm Sweet. proud of you. There, there's. I'm not even going to have to edit any 
curse words out. Like you didn't swear once. You could have, and I could have edited it out, but you didn't. I know, and you it did was, a great it job. Was hard. I bet. The reason I bring that up, jokes aside, is because I've never talked about it on this show. You have a podcast as well called The Crasher Cast. Yes. Which I have listened to all of your episodes, with the exception of one, the the workout guy. No disrespect to him. I'm just not interested in that. Um, and I have loved all of them. And I gave you shit when your podcast came out. I texted you and I said, damn it, you beat me. Because I've been wanting to do one forever and you beat me to it. So, well played, sir. Well, I sit around and I usually just try to think, okay, how can I beat Stephen O'Reilly this week? <laughs> and I thought, I know. I bet he wants to do a podcast. I'm going to beat him to the punch and do mine first. That is the greatest bullshit line I've ever heard. No, it's a uh, tradition on my show. High five in a microphone. There we go. That was a good one. Um, it, you know, the podcast came about probably for the same reason that, that you did yours. Is I'm I'm a really big podcast fan. Absolutely. I that, listen that's to a lot I of podcasts. To and I love, um, not that I'm the world's biggest talker, but I like to talk to people about interesting things. Interesting right. people, interesting things. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't want to get on here, uh, do a podcast, and just have somebody push their product, or no. or or you know do a, a glorified commercial or something like that. Right. I want to talk to somebody. I agree. Uh, and it's and if I'm gonna if I'm gonna waste my time to sit down here across from your ugly face, I want to get something out of it. You know what I mean? And the conversation is the something. Absolutely. So that's why I started the podcast. And, and, and I uh, can't, I was born with this ugly shit. I, there's nothing I can I'm do I'm just about joking. It. I'm the pot calling the kettle black over here. Dude. Nah, you're cute. Stop oh my God, it. you're so cute. Stop it. <laughs> I can't help it. Take it easy, Cindy. <sighs> Whatever, Linda. <clears throat> so when your first episode... You posted in, you just told me, let's see if I can remember, June of last year, correct? June of 2017, yeah. Yep. So you have, how many episodes do you have now? 10? You were number 10. I was number it, 10? It, it depends on how you're doing the math. I think it, on my feed, uh, I've got, there are more than 10, but there are 10 official episodes in right. air quotes. <laughs> I like so, so I love air quotes. You, you are, I just recorded episode number 10 with you. Awesome. So. And where can your show... I know it's on Stitcher and iTunes, correct? It's on Stitcher, it's on iTunes, it's on Overcast, which is my current favorite platform nice. for listening to podcasts. That's right, you told me about that. I have to check them out. Apparently, they're, I'm on Overcast and didn't even know it. Yeah, yeah. They're they're not a paid sponsor. They don't pay me to say that, but I think they have the best listening platform. Right. Uh, at least for... I, I've, I've got an older phone, it's an iPhone 6, and it works. I love their... The, it's so much better than the Apple Podcast app. Right. So that's what I use to listen to. But you can also go to the website, which is CrashYourCast.com. Cool. And listen to them, stream them straight from the website. Sweet. All right, you plugged all your shit. Get up. All right. I appreciate it. <laughs> can, can I at least have another cup of coffee for the road? You can have as many coffees of mine as you want. Because <laughs> coffee is life, sir. Uh, I wanted you on for a couple reasons. And you wanted me on your show for a couple reasons. So I don't know what those reasons were, but... Well, I'm getting to that. Right. So... Brief seriousness, if you want to listen to my episode on your show, you fuckers can pause this now, go find the Crasher cast and listen to it, and then come back. We'll wait. That would at least put them in the sequence of events, because we've already had that conversation first. We did. And they could finish it up with this one. Absolutely. And uh, things got a little heated in that episode. We There was a, actually a fist fight 
There and, was uh, that you won because you beat the shit out of me. Well, you know, every once in a while, life needs to give you a black eye. Just I know. put you in your place. I, I, I know. I know. Um, so, I mean, it, 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 can you at least hit the other one so I'll have matching luggage? It'll look like uh, when you wear the eye makeup. You know yes, what I'm talking about? Absolutely. I've, I've done my time with the eye makeup. I, I'm aware. I've seen some pictures. <laughs> you know, a funny story. I, uh, once I was out on the road and I punched a guy and I was in the band with him. And, <laughs> and in the next, the next show, they had to put eye makeup on both his eyes to cover up the black eye. To that cover you gave up him? the black eye because, like, basically, this whole side of his face was black. Like, really, it was a. I got a really good shot on him. Nice. And uh, this whole side of his face was totally or not black. nice. Sorry, I'm not condoning violence. <clears throat> no, and I don't either. And I haven't hit anybody in over ten years. Did he deserve it? So, oh, of course. He hit me first. Then I'm condoning it twice. Oh, he hit me once in the nose, and I said, "Don't do that again." And he hit me again in the nose. And listen, I don't care if a baby hits you in the nose; it hurts. That shit hurts. Hit I've been hit in the nose, nose a lot. Yeah. And so, and so after the second time, I was like, "That's it, you know, you're done." Yep. And that was it. Hmm. But I don't condone violence. Avoid it at all costs. I agree. I'm a shit talker and a runner. <laughs> <laughs> you at come least after you're me honest to, about it, man. You come after me to whip my ass. I'm throwing my wallet at you, and I'm out the door. That's just <laughs> not gonna happen. I'm little. I play drums for a living. No, I'm not interested. You're not that little. You look like you're in relatively good shape here, man. Is that just from the drumming? You you look like you're not. Oh, uh, you're very complimentary. I have my man girdle on. I'm, I've got it all sucked in. I've got my compression socks on. I'm just, you know. I gotta get me one of those. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I I've been I uh I guess you could say I come from good genes. My dad is seventy. I always forget. He's seventy six, uh, and he looks like a. Probably mid fifties guy with a beer gut. Hmm. He's not a big dude, and, and he's not active anymore. He's seventy six. I mean, he still right. gets out. He's out and about. He's not housebound or anything. But everybody in my family, as far as I can remember, and as far as I can tell, are pretty kind of lean, small people. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I still got my girdle on. <laughs> you know, my my mom and my dad. If you if you put them together, uh, put them in like big heavy winter coats. Right. Soaked them with water and had each of them holding a cat. Both of them together wouldn't weigh as much as I do. <laughs> That's the greatest description ever. It's it's like I don't know how I came about <clears throat> because I'm I'm not you know incredibly tall. I'm I'm about six foot. Right. I'm about two hundred twenty pounds. But you're not. I wouldn't call you a big guy. I, yeah, that's the thing. I'm not like huge. Mm-mm. But my parents are tiny people. Really? Like they're not. I wouldn't call them short. But they're definitely they're definitely not as tall as I am. They're not jitly, right? and they're super lean, man. So they're like, not jitly short. They're not jitly short. No, my mom towers over Howard. Everybody towers over Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Howard towers over Howard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's 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 cool that to to know that your parents are tiny. My my parents are are uh, uh, my mother is a whack job, but physically she's um I don't know five. Five four, five five. She's mm-hmm. not a big woman. Um, relatively skinny. My dad's kind of the same way. He's my dad's five ten. Uh, like I said, I just described him. So it's so you're right in the middle. Yeah, I'm kind of right in the middle. Yeah. And I'm this. Uh, other than my sister, my sister is four eleven. She's been four eleven since the fourth grade. Uh, but uh, uh, there's three three of us boys. I am the shortest and the smallest. Both of my other brothers are are very broad shouldered, uh, tall. Uh, my brother Danny's six two, six one. 
something like that. Yeah, I just want to say here that it's the the concept that there are more than one. There's more than one O'Reilly in the world. Uh-huh. It's a kind of a scary concept. No, they're normal. I'm not. They're all normal people. Really? Yes, that's normal why. People. That's why I live 800 miles away from the closest one. They're all normal, and I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> normal compared to me. I mean, what really is normal anyway? Normal is a very subjective term. That is very, very true. So, back to the original reason why I wanted you on the show. I have listened to your show, your podcast, uh, all your episodes, and I have known you for, I've been in Louisville for 11 years, so I've known you at least nine of those years. And you, I'm throwing you under the bus on my show because that's what I do. You're very self-deprecating. And I don't think you give yourself enough credit. And the reason I say that before you enter is I think you're a monster bass player. And I'm looking you in the eye telling you that. I'm not placating. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. You are a fucking good bass player. And not to mention you have done amazing things in your life. So that is one of the main reasons I wanted you on the show because... Louisville has this thing, and you've heard me talk about it on my show before. Louisville has this thing where there's the little hometown cliques, and everything that's here is here, and it doesn't exist outside of here. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Days of the New when I lived in Charlotte in 99, 2000, 2001, I think is when I left Charlotte. There's a four-year period. I'm a gypsy. I've lived too many damn places. I'm not going to talk about it here. Uh, but I had that record, and I was like, man, fucking record's great. Then when I get here, everybody's like, well, you know that that guy's in the band and that guy was in the And I'm going, what are you talking about? I didn't, even, I didn't care because I didn't know that you guys were from here. Mm. So when you started your show and then I started my show, I was like, I got to get Jesse on eventually. And then, of course, you beat me and had me on your show first. I'm quick to the draw. <sighs> That's all right. I got Marvin before you did. Well. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, you're in closer proximity. True, I did cheat. And, I, I did have him come upstairs to my teaching studio. I was like, hey, sit down, let's have a conversation. <laughs> and, and you're a drummer. Right, so, so I do trump you oh, in but Marvin's here's, eyes. Hold on, hold Uh-oh. on. I can one-up you, because you're I've there. actually, I can, I've performed on I stage with going. Marvin. Shit! I got to play bass with Marvin behind the drum kit. Oh! So, damn it! nice try, O'Reilly. I can't win for losing with you. Now listen, so <laughs> the the self-deprecating humor is... Uh, oh, and by the way, for the record, I'm all about self-deprecating humor. I do it to myself as well. Yeah. But I, I feel, as your friend, and I'm telling you this honestly, I don't think you give yourself enough credit as the things that you have accomplished. Just my, my viewpoint. Well, let, then let, let, let me address that. <laughs> but, well, what I was going to say is my self-deprecating humor is part of my charm. It's part of my... Not, it's part of my personality. You know what I mean? No, I get um, it. And uh, for whatever reason, that's just become part of my habit, who I am. Right. But the reason that, that I, maybe people have the perception that I sell myself short as far as what I've accomplished, mm-hmm. is because in a very real sense, in a very real sense, it feels like that happened to somebody else. I'm so far removed from the earlier projects that I did. I right. mean, I've been in the crashers for 10 years. Yep. And in, in my mind, it's it's the biggest and best thing I've ever done. Right. By the way, according you know, to Wikipedia, you've been in the crashers for 14 years. Well. Chew on that for a second because you totally have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just tell you. That somebody, I don't know who set up the Wikipedia page. I don't either. But I just thought it was funny. It's not all accurate. No. It's think? not all accurate. It's pretty funny. I was reading it and going, okay, first of all, I didn't know he had one. And second of all, that's wrong and that's wrong. 
that never happened. It was kind of funny. Anyway, carry on. I, and, I interrupted and, you. And, and the thing is that I don't want to be that guy that goes on and edits his own Wikipedia page. Right. No, I'm I, not going to be that guy. I get it. You know, so there are some things in there that are wrong and there's some things in there that are close to right. The fact is that the true stories, a lot of them is just nobody's business anyway, so I wouldn't bother putting them on there. No, I, I agree. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where it, it, that section of my life, the the basically from the time I've like I've recorded that first days of the new album, I was a I was a senior in high school when we recorded that album. Thank you. You blocked out one of the questions. Perfect. You answered it already. Because I was going to ask you how old you were when you recorded that record. Yeah, I actually had to go to my principal and 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 talk to him and have him grant me two weeks leave to go to Nashville. No shit. So he, uh, George Marshall, who's actually passed away, uh, he was a very nice guy, and he he did that. And he didn't have to. He could have said, "Screw you, you're not graduating if you're not here for those two weeks," but he let me go. So I've cool. always been grateful to him very cool. uh, for being cool and understanding about that. Uh, but anyway, that time period from, from the time that we recorded that first album to the time that, uh, you know, days of the new went away and tantric came into being and I left tantric that whole sequence of events. A lot of times it feels like it's a movie I watched it. I mean, I was there obviously, right? but it just seems kind of crazy because I go through my normal day to day life now and Somebody will say, hey, you remember that time that that thing happened? And I'll be like, holy crap, that actually happened to me. I was there and I saw that. You know, it's just, I, it's almost like my brain has put up kind of a wall. That was my life then. This is my life now. That makes sense. And I'm glad you, you kind of clarified it because uh, there's a lot of people in town, myself included, but there's a lot of people in town that have done all these amazing, amazing things. Um, but then there's a small group of people in town that like to rub it in your face, the amount of amazing, amazing things that they've done. Mm. And that shit gets annoying. But with you, you never talk about it. Like, it took me, I think Kevin was the one, I know you because of Kevin and because of Moms. Um, and I think Kevin is the one that said, well, you do know who he is, right? And I was like, I don't fucking know this guy. He's a good bass player. I don't know who he is. He was in Days of New and Tantric. And I went, oh, Okay. And then he introduced me to Todd Whitener, and mm-hmm. Todd was like, hey, yeah, I, was in, I did this, that, and the other. And Todd's kind of like you. He doesn't really talk about it either. So I just found it fascinating because when I first met Hugo, and I don't know Hugo. Mm-hmm. I, I, we've had one conversation, and this was about the, the extent of the conversation. Chuck Willis, my old singer from Heaven Hill, introduced me to him. And he said, hi, I'm Hugo from Tantric. And I went, uh, okay, that's fucking great. And I walked away. Yeah. <laughs> but... The reason I say it that way is because you, if somebody meets you, they would never know that you were in this multi-platinum band. Yeah. They would have no clue. No clue. And on the one hand, I admire it, I appreciate it, and I respect it. And on the other hand, I'm like, why does Jesse never talk about this? So, here we are. Yeah, it's, I don't know. And you don't have to talk about anything you don't want no, to. No, I, I, I don't have a problem talking about anything generally. Uh, to answer your question, though, more pointedly, why don't I ever talk about it? For one thing, it's a big aspect of my personality. I'm just not the type of person to go around now talking that, that's true. about myself. That's true. Um, I, that's the thing. One of the things I really love about being in a band is that it's not about me. Right. That's, you know, if I wanted it to be about me, I would have learned to sing. Mark. Or I would have learned to play guitar. You know what I mean? 
Like I too many guitar players to make to name. I, yeah, <laughs> like I, I that's there's an aspect of my personality that enjoys being the bass player, right? And enjoys being sort of behind the scenes a little bit. No, I get it. That <clears throat> that, that makes sense, um, and it makes complete sense, especially after doing your episode. I learned some stuff about you, and and I'll probably I'm getting ready to learn more stuff about you, which I think is cool. It's one of the reasons why I love doing podcasts. Mm. I learn shit about all my friends. Um, and then, uh, like, I, I think I said this on your episode, I've got some people coming up that I'm not, we're not, quote, friends, we're acquaintances. And I'm looking forward to those because I don't know anything about them. Right. It's going to be cool. Um, but the thing with, with it, going back to the days of the new thing that I really want to know is, I knew you were young. I didn't realize you were still in high school. Mm-hmm. Did you graduate before you went on tour? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, when did, when did... And you could you could give me the very very short version. I'm not looking for intimate details. I don't give a shit about that. I just want to know what it was like to be that young and go, holy shit! I just got signed. I'm going on tour. Because there's there's guys like me. Before you answer the question, there's guys like me that have been trying to do that, and I've done it to a degree, but I never did it on the national level. Right. And I've always wanted to know what goes through your head when you figure it out, especially as young as you were. Like, I can't imagine being 19, 20 going, hey, fucker, you're going on tour. Uh, okay. I would freak out. I yeah. want it. I want it now at 43. But I, st- I still think there's a part that would freak out way back then. How did you handle it? I think that uh, my youth served me <laughs> greatly. <laughs> the, the, the abandonment of youth? <laughs> no, just the, the uh, what I, I guess what I'm saying is the, I had so little perspective like, there are guys, you know, uh, we're talking about 1996 right. is when I got a record deal. Yeah, because the record came out in 97, correct? Yeah. yeah. I cheated. Because you know my, my date memory Did you sucks. look at my Wikipedia? Oh, no, I Googled it. Oh, okay. I was like, when did the days of the new record come out? <laughs> and that's it came out when it came into, into the June rabbit 3rd, hole. June 3rd, 97 is when it okay. came out. See, this, folks, is why Jesse's awesome, because he remembers shit. I'm, I'm good, generally, with dates and times. You are. Um, so I graduated in, uh, 96 okay. and, uh, we were pretty much, we recorded the album when I was still in high school and very shortly after I graduated, we started touring. Gotcha. Uh, and back in those days, everybody knows the record business used to be a different animal. Oh, absolutely. There actually used to be this thing called the record business Yeah. and these things called record labels. Mm-hmm. And they would invest in an artist Mm -hmm. and that's what happened to us. So before the the album was released, they had us for about nine or 10 months on the road, doing club dates, meeting radio people, uh, doing all this stuff, opening for bigger artists before the album ever got released. So when the album got released, it was an instant smash because we'd already developed this reputation, made friends at radio and, and the, the people at the station were playing it all the time. So we already had fans. As soon as the album was released, it was flying off the shelves. Right. It was a very fortunate situation. And what I mean by my youth served me is that I, it's not like I was a guy who was 25 years old working at a machine shop who finally got a big break. Right. I was a kid coming out of high school into the big break and I didn't know what it was like to have that struggle in that sense, you know, to be playing all the bars. And I just thought, this is what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, I don't think that I thought that then, but looking back on it, that's how I approached it. Right. I, uh, I have a habit of defending Tommy Lee a lot, even though I've never met the guy. 
And one of the reasons I defend him is because he's probably the the literal reason why I play drums. That one doesn't count, kids, because I didn't say the other L word. He is the reason I play drums. But I think the reason I defend him when he does all his wacky shit, when Motley Crue got signed, he was 17. Hmm. He wasn't even, he didn't even finish high school. Right. And they're on the road with Too Fast for Love, and then Shadow the Devil comes out. They're huge. He's had a career from the time he was 17 till now. And I'm not saying this in, in a derogatory way or, or throwing him under the bus. The guy doesn't fucking know what it's like to struggle. Yeah. He's never had to, quote, adult. So I think that's where I kind of defend him on that front because he, like you, he got out of high school. He's like, this is what happens. Sweet. Where you kind of went, wait, I, this isn't really how this is supposed to be. Let me take a step back, at least from my perspective. Well, it, it, when it all when you got out of it and all that kind of stuff, he's never got out of it. So it's, I know it's a weird comparison, but that's where I'm going with it because you got two guys that basically essentially did the same thing. You got out of it, he didn't, so he still has the mind of a 20 year old. Yeah, and he's in his. I don't even know how old Tommy is. But I guess 50s. He's got to be in his 50s. Yeah, he's got to be. But I, I find that fascinating. Well, the thing with me is that um, one aspect of my personality that I'm very grateful for. Mm-hmm is that I do tend to ponder on things. I tend to think things through. Mm-hmm. And so early on in those days, if I had had a different personality, I could very well be dead or in jail now. I can see um, that. And and there are guys that I was in that band with, unfortunately, that are not doing well because they didn't have that aspect of my personality. You know right. what I mean? That, that makes them take pause and, and say, okay, well maybe maybe it's not the best idea to do that much cocaine in one city. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, and I think that, that maybe I should do half of that amount, that little piece. Not that I didn't make some bad decisions. Uh, we all have, obviously I've done some things that I shouldn't have done, especially earlier in my life, but I always and had on that the crashers cruise drink much. Oh, you're welcome. Carry on. <laughs> anyway, hey, how's that Jesse's girl going for you? About as good as always, a fucking train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Even on the cruise, I could play Jesse's girl. I got um, nothing, brother. I got nothing. Anyway, it's my damn kryptonite. So, it, but I always, um, fortunately, I always had that little voice in the back of my head. I had right. that, that, it's almost like I could envision it being a little piece of that I hold on to in the center. Right. So even if I was making some bad decisions and everybody around me was making worse decisions, I still had that little piece where I was conscious of what was going on. Right. And I knew where to draw lines. Fair enough. And, um, unfortunately some of the guys in that band didn't know where to draw lines. Right. And it was, you know, as much as I truly, truly, uh, I don't harbor any ill will, um, to, to, well, maybe that's not even an honest answer. I, I try not to harbor any ill will. I try to uh, be uh, positive about the whole experience. But there's a part of me that, that is almost, um, it sounds like a horrible word to use, but pitying. You know what I mean? I just feel bad uh, that, that some of the guys I was in a band with were not able to keep it together. You, you know, know? I, I, I Because they had so, such an incredible amount of talent. Oh, absolutely. And and they were just so gifted, and it, it basically has destroyed their lives. 
No, I get that because I've seen it in Atlanta and other cities I've lived in where you've got these guys that are so talented and they just piss it away. Yeah. Their reasons are irrelevant. doesn't matter what the reason is, but they just piss it away and you just kind of go, dude, you could add everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean in a monetary sense. I just mean you could add the, the life that a lot of us would kill for and you're pissing it away for stupid reasons. Yeah. So I, I get exactly what you're saying. I, I know what... I know where you're coming from as far as using using the word pitying. It, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Because you look at somebody and go, how can you be that good and just barf all over it? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, you I've, I listen to your shows and you talk about being tattooed white trash. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't have as many tattoos as you, but my white trash street cred is unquestionable. <laughs> Are you saying you're OG white trash? I'm saying I'm straight up white trash. I'm so white trash that I still do eat spam. That's how white trash I am. And so, you know, coming uh I can't up, believe you just said spam on my show. Dude, I'm I've got some in my duffel bag. We're gonna fry it up here. Get in a the minute. fuck out. <laughs> Show's over. Get the fuck out. Bait it. Done. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Anyway. So but but you know, I grew up in a very um I grew up in a way where a lot of the people that I knew and had daily interactions with, uh, not only were they uneducated and unemployed, but they were actively trying to hurt, destroy themselves. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Through drugs or just, you know, bad choices in general. Right. A lot of the people that I grew up around were like that. Right. And unfortunately, that influence, I think, also had a big impact I mean, I, I'm just going to say their names. Matt and Travis is who I'm talking about. Right. In Days of the New. Right. Um, they both had so much potential, but the the way that they came up, on one hand, it helped to hone that talent, and, and it created some amazing songwriting. Absolutely, it did. On the other hand... And for the record, I don't know either one of those dudes personally. Yeah. I've met Travis once, and I've met Matt twice. Yeah. So, carry on. Sorry. Well, and I'm just saying when you when you weigh what it the the benefits that they got from their upbringing against the effect that it had on them in the long run, mm-hmm. I think they got the bad end of the deal um, because it, it was you know I just don't think they stood a chance uh, in a lot of ways, and I, I love I still have some portion of my heart for Travis, right? You know, even though. Even though I think he's a horrible human being, it helps that I knew him before he came, he became a horrible human being. I mean, right. you know, I remember I was probably eight or nine and there was a haunted house in our neighborhood. And one of the rules was you had to hold the hand of the person in front of you. And I just happened to be next to Travis and we had to hold hands through this haunted house. That's how long I've known him. Damn. So I knew him when he was just an innocent kid. Right. You know what I mean? Living in bad circumstances. Right. So there's part of me that still feels for him. And there's another part of me that realizes what a complete douchebag he is. And he's a douchebag. I mean, he's Sorry. just, he, he is, he's become a horrible human being, but he wasn't always that way. Right. Um, Matt, on the other hand, I love Matt so much more than he deserves. <laughs> he's, he's serious. He's like my brother. Uh, it, you know, and, and when somebody's your brother, you love him no matter what. Right. And Matt's like that. He's done so many stupid things, and he and I have gotten in fights, and I've had to 
I, I had to pull him off a cop one time because he attacked a cop. There's so many things that he does wrong. Right. But when you know him like I knew him, there's a, a beautiful side to his personality. And I don't mean just the part of that's mega talented behind a drum kit. I mean, there's a part of him that's really beautiful. Right. And it makes me sad when I think about Matt, for sure. You know? I, I get it. And, and this is not a comparison or a one-up. It's just a relatable thing. There's a lot of people in my life that are, I feel the same exact way yeah. that you do. I think um, a lot of people can relate to that. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you get to a point. Let me rephrase that. I get to a point where I just cut people out. Mm-hmm. I, I can't fucking deal with you anymore. I've done all I can do for you. Your problem is your problem because of the choices that you made. Right. It, it is out of my hands as your friend or as your family member. Most people that know me personally, I have a few family members like that. I have, I have nieces and nephews I've never met mm-hmm. because of their parents. You're an idiot. I'm not dealing with you. I can't. Yeah. Um, so I, I get it. it. I think it's just in your situation, when you're in that spotlight, remember, obviously, I wasn't here when you were doing all of that, when you were at the peak. So I don't know the, the quote, uh, hometown vibe that was going on here. I'm just looking from the outside. And then when I got here, it all hit me in the head because everybody's going and tell me all this stuff. But when anything like that is exacerbated, Big word, you like that. I like it. Because you're in the spotlight, it makes it seem a million times worse. But when you peel back the layers and you look at it, it's just another human problem. You fucked up. This is your fault. I'm out of here. Yeah. Instead of, well, there was backstabbing and this. No, there wasn't. Dude made some shitty choices. And that's on that person. Yeah. And again, I'm not speaking of Travis and Matt because I don't know them. But if if Travis fucked up, he fucked up. Mm-hmm. Dude was on intervention. He had some fucking issues. Yeah. He was on A&E's intervention. So that, that's public knowledge. But I, I get exactly what you're saying. And I think with with you never talking about it and, and seeing yourself removed and like you said, you, you kind of view it as a movie. I find that interesting because I've done the same thing on a much, 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 if you could see what I'm doing where I need a camera, tinier, tinier scale. I've did a few mini tours and I don't, I was physically there, but I don't remember physically being there. Mm-hmm. I opened for Sponge. I don't even remember it. And I, you know me. I don't drink on stage. I never drink when I play. I still, to this day, I don't remember opening for Sponge. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. I don't I don't remember it. I do pictures and people told me. But it's weird when you remove yourself from those situations and then you go, okay, I did that. That was cool. And um, I'm fucking done. And you just move on. Yeah. So I get it. I get where you're coming from. I do. I still, It still fascinates me, though. Because you... Mr. Vest played on TV. Uh, not only TV. <laughs> I played on TV when people watched TV. There it is. Yes. You know what I mean? I totally was going to I swear. High five in the microphone. I was going to say that and you, you did it. Um, yes, you did that. You toured with Metallica or played some dates with. You can clarify that. You did Aerosmith too, right? Mm-hmm. And then you, you guys did a headline tour, correct? Yes. Okay. And the wheels came off quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I bring up Metallica before you talk about the wheels coming off, because that's interesting, is how old were you when you opened for Metallica? Well, let me do the math here. I would have been 20. Damn. I would have been, it was, it was a summer of, it was a summer of 98 and it was a full tour. It was a full show. Was it a full run? It was a, we did 42 dates with them. 
Nice. And I watched the show 42 times. I watched every show. Nice. People don't, it's hard to express how much that tour meant to me at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. Because when I grew up, I didn't go to church. I listened to Metallica. Brother, I'm with you. Metallica, (laughs) it was my religion. It was everything. It represented everything that was that was cool in the world. I right. mean, Metallica was it. So to get to go on that tour, they came to us at the beginning in like the springtime. They said, listen, we're trying to put your summer together and you guys have two options. Um, you can either go out on tour and you can open for Van Halen or you can go out on tour and open for Metallica. And now, we, when you say they, hang on, are you talking about the record companies? Yes. Okay. Well, okay. the, the in, Your management in, record in, in label. my mind, it 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 tends to blur. It all becomes one big conglomerate because they all conspire against you anyway. Fair enough. Um, I, I I have dubbed it the death machine. By the way, yeah, <laughs> I, the individuals in the company mm-hmm. are generally well-meaning, but in a very real sense, you have you know the the booking agent and the record company and. You know, your accountant and you, your lawyer and your right. manager, all these people are conspiring to get as much money out of you as they possibly can. Oh, absolutely. And if they can help you along the way, they want to do that. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's the way it was 20 years ago. I can't speak to today. <laughs> today but anyway, you can have 20 billion plays on Spotify and make two grand. Yeah. Well, anyway, go ahead. So they came to us with that proposal. Um, and asked what we wanted to do, and obviously we picked Metallica. Right. And if we had picked Van Halen, it was the crappy Van Halen. It was the it was the album where they had Gary Sharon, I think, that did that one album, and oh, they went yeah. out and toured a summer with him. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad we didn't pick that. Which True, but have. for the record, that dude's a badass singer. Oh, Sharon? Yeah. No, listen, no He argument. never fit in that band, but no he was argument a badass singer. He was, he, he, I, I'm definitely not crapping on him. No, 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 I know. But um, nobody gave a shit about that version of Van Halen. Yeah, I get it. it. We made the right choice in a number of ways. And in the biggest way, as far as the impact it had on that project, it was it put us in the front of a lot more people. Oh, absolutely. Because It's the name of the game. Get in front of eyeballs, brother. Dude, and we, we played... Um, like I said, it was 42 shows. Two of those shows were sold out at Giant Stadium. Damn. So you're talking about 100,000 people each night. Fuck. And it was, it's an incredible experience, obviously. Oh, absolutely. But, but just from a purely professional standpoint, when you're talking about what's good to strategize for your career, putting yourself in front of 200,000 people in the course of two days is an amazing business plan. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so it, it worked very well for us. Absolutely. You know? um, but it was very cool. Uh, a lot of the stories that I could tell from the Metallica tour, I won't tell in public because my kids might hear this someday. No, no, no. That, and and you know that's completely fine. I have, I, I'm not about dirt. I'm about that, whatever people want to talk about. And there was about. a lot of dirt on that tour. Oh, I can imagine. But, there was, but it was a, I mean, just in general... Getting to hang out with, I mean, I don't want to offend any religious people, but Metallica might as well have been Jesus. I get it. In in my book, I worship them, and getting to hang out with them, it could not have happened. It, nothing better could have happened in my life at 20 years old. Now, that is a question that I was going to ask you, so I'm glad you went there. Um, I was going to ask you first if you got to hang out with them, because I know a lot of times if you're if you're an opener on a big tour like that, you don't get to interact with the national depending who it is mm-hmm. i mean the headliner depending who it is um but that's cool that you got to hang out with them were they all 
actually cool or were they putting on a front or did it was it one of those things where as the tour went on they went oh these guys are actually pretty cool I, i'll tell you what happened uh here's the tour this was the full tour it was us in the opening spot mm-hmm. it was jerry cantrell as the second opener mm-hmm. uh, he was fresh out of allison chains and he had, that was his first solo album right and then it was Metallica. Gotcha. So that was the bill. Gotcha. So we got to spend a lot of time with Jerry Cantrell and, and, and his band. Right. Who were, the band was sick. That Jerry Cantrell solo record was a good record. It really was a good I record. I can't remember who played on it, but I know it was a good record. Well, I listened to it a few it, times. Mike Inez was on bass. That's all you need to know. You are correct. Um, so, but anyway, we got to hang out with him quite a bit. Uh, as far as Metallica goes, Lars was very outgoing, very personable. Um, he's, he actually went out of his way to spend a lot of time with me and Matt in particular. Oh, nice. A very nice guy. And, uh, Jason Newstead was a bass player at that point. Mm-hmm. He was also very cool. Uh, was also trying, he was always trying to get us to go play basketball. <laughs> I'm not an athlete. I don't ever play basketball, but Todd Whitener would go play basketball with Jason Newstead all the time. Oh, nice. That's cool. And, uh, James, I didn't have much interaction with him, right. but, but I'll, but I'll tell you, that everybody on the tour, the crew, everybody, they said that that he was not quite himself. That he's normally more friendly and outgoing, uh, but apparently, and I don't want to tell tales out of school here, but apparently he had just come out of rehab, gotcha, and was trying to you know get off the sauce, and so just I guess isolated. Himself. I guess he was just trying to isolate himself right. because he we did not see much of him on that tour, and they you know when Metallica tours, it's not like. It's not like when anybody else tours because they're Metallica. They can do what they want. Pretty much. So they, you know, a lot of times we would be in, uh, you know, you name the city, we'd be in Dallas and Metallica would go up and play the show and they wouldn't get on the bus like we did. They'd get in a limo, go to the airport, fly home, sleep in their own bed that night. You know, like they own their own private jet. Like it, it was, it's a completely different lifestyle. Oh, absolutely. And uh, their tour manager told me, we did a show in Rockford, Illinois with them, and it was this huge open field. It wasn't even like an official venue. It was just a huge empty field. Right. And we did a show with them. I think it was like 110, 120,000 people. And the tour manager told me that that show, that that one show paid all the expenses for all the 42 shows. So it paid all the travel expenses, paid all the crew people, paid all the transportation, everything. All the other 41 shows were profit. Fuck. So that includes the two sold out shows at Giant Stadium. Those were profit. So I can't do that much math, brother. I'm telling you. <laughs> Damn. That's, that's straight up Metallica math, and they live on a different planet than us. Oh, I, absolutely they do. Well, I would, I would imagine, and I'm, I'm throwing shit at the wall right now, but I would imagine Kiss is the same way. Crew is the same way before they retired. Yeah, um, I, those I, bands out Aerosmith. I would imagine those bands are all on yeah. that level. I, I would imagine that such is the case, but that's the only real world inner. Like right. I talked to their tour manager who handles their money, and that's what he told me. That's crazy. So yeah, it, it's it, amazing. It blew my mind, but it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about that. Mm. Because what would that have been? You told me I already forgot the date or the year. What year? Ninety eight. Ninety-eight. It was the 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 tour for the Reload album. Gotcha. So in ninety-eight, so that was twenty. Holy shit, that was twenty years ago. Mm. I mean, those days are gone, and it's crazy to think that you could do that back then. 
And now you have bands that are struggling to even do mini tours. Now, granted, you still have your big dogs that are still up there. Like, I just went and saw Pink. Amazing show. Yeah. Did you go? No. Oh, Mark went, and I, I would have loved to have gone. God, it was amazing. But you have you have artists and bands like that that mm-hmm. can still do it. But there's the most, point I'm getting most at. Most of them are legacy artists. Absolutely. The yeah. point I'm getting at, there's no mid-tier up-and-comers that can sell out five, six, seven, ten thousand 10,000 seat, 20,000 seat mm. venue, whatever you want to call it. They just can't do that anymore. There, yeah, I it, like the legacy artists. That's good. It's, it's it, crazy that it's it's changed that much. It, it really has. And it's it's a type of thing where, and people really get mad when I say things like this, but we, we have to acknowledge that rock is dead. I mean, it's on its deathbed. It might not be officially dead, but... You can go, there's no real artist that I would call a rock band that could really come in to KFC Yum Center and sell it out that is not a legacy artist. You know what I mean? Journey could do it. Bon Jovi could do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Slipknot's not doing it. You know what I mean? Like they, they, anything that's like a rock, hard rock band, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're just not doing it. Now, Bruno Mars can come in. Taylor Swift can come in. All day long, Katy Perry, Pink, a billion of them, but they're pop artists or they're country artists. Yep. Rock artists. They have a harder time. They're I, being squeezed out of that. Uh, and, and I don't, you know, I mean, I could spend probably three hours trying to figure out why that is. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. You, well, is, we won't figure it out anyway. The fact is, it's happening. And it, oh, it, it makes it me is. sad, but it's the truth. It is know? what it is. And, and, uh, and Metallica is one of those artists that will... As long as James can pick up a guitar, that band will tour and make millions. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, they will. I, I went to, uh, while you were talking about that, I just thought of the last, quote, rock show I went to. It was at Yum Center. Obviously, I saw Pink, but the last rock show I went to was the Five Finger Death Punch tour. And it was Bruce Dickinson Sons band, who I can't remember. Then it was 6 a.m., which is really all I gave a shit about because I wanted, really wanted to see them. Then it was Shinedown. The only reason I didn't give a shit about them is because I've seen them three or four times. Phenomenal live. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Amazing. I toured with them, yeah. And then uh, Five Finger Death Punch was the headliner. But a band or a bill that was stacked like that it still didn't sell out. Yeah. And now I will be straight up honest. I respect Five Finger Death Punch. Mm. I left. After five or six songs, I was done. I just I just didn't care. Yeah. Um, well, if you got to sit through three other bands to get to it. There is that, too. Um, 6 a.m. was Amazing. Shinedown yeah. was amazing as always. But now, Five Fingers production, her stage was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so cool. Um, but the point I'm getting at, I'm, ma- I'm making a long story longer, it, it didn't sell out. So there is something to be said about rock kind of dying. Yeah. It's, well, it, 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 it sucks, but it is what it is. It didn't sell out, and they had to stack that bill like crazy to sell what they did. Absolutely. You know, Because if you um, think about it, 6 a.m., just pure musically, knowing what we know about music, because we're musicians. I'm not saying we're elitist, but we're musicians. We listen to music differently. Those records are phenomenal. Most of the Shinedown stuff, phenomenal. Mm. Five Finger Death Punch, whether you're into that music or not, for what it is, it's pretty damn good. Yeah. So to stack, like exactly what you said, to stack that bill like that and still didn't sell out, Pink had an opener that played 20 minutes. or No, they played 30 minutes. Mm. Never heard of them in my life. Didn't matter. That show sold out. Yeah, it's you know I think that uh, th- there's not, and I I admittedly I want to say this openly, 
it's not like I'm on the cutting edge of what's happening in the music scene. Like, I, you know, there might be somebody out there that's really great that I don't know about. But as far as rock goes, there hasn't been anything to blow my skirt up in the last 10, 15 years. I, you know? I would agree with that. I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, they're, not that there's not good bands, Mm-mm. but but there are there are no Metallicas coming up. No. You know, we're just not making them anymore. Mm-mm. And I think that it may be the end of an era. No, you're completely right. There, there's been nothing that's come out that's just phenomenal. And again, I, I'm with you. And I, I think I talked about it on one of my shows. It's not to say that anything nowadays sucks. It's not to say that there's not good artists. I just don't think, and I hate to be the fucking quintessential old dude, I don't think this generation cares as much as we did. No, you're absolutely right. If there was a great band that came out today, it doesn't matter how good it would, how good it is, it wouldn't have the same mass appeal. Nope. Because, you know, there's a, a real lack of commonality in society today. Oh, I agree. You know, people who like country music can listen to so much country music and they never have to hear anything else. True. You know, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm old enough to remember that, you know, there were not, we didn't have internet radio. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? There were a few stations on the dial. And if you were listening to the rock station and there was a commercial on, you'd flip over to the country station. Yep. You know, it was sort of, you had your options and you had to take what you could get. Yeah. Today you can take anything you want. Oh, absolutely. And so you're not going to have, you're just not going to develop the audience that's necessary to build another legacy artist. It's not going to happen. No, I agree. And, and I, I've <clears throat> said it on the show and I'm still waiting for the people to email me to tell me to stop saying it. Technology is the greatest, worst thing ever invented. Oh, yeah. It just, it is. Yeah. So, okay, back to you. Enough about this shit. And then we're going to move on to social media issues. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you, you did the tour of Metallica. You, did you tour with Aerosmith too, or did you just open for him a few times? I, I can tell you. Or where did that even come from? Here's, okay, here's the thing. Okay. I literally, this podcast could be six hours long, so I'm trying to limit these stories. Did you just use the L word? Limit? Uh-uh. Literally, I didn't have to do it. Yes, I didn't even catch it. I said, I know, I know. Good job, anyway. So, but really, I've Mm. got stories that I could go for days, so I'll try to limit them, right? The Aerosmith thing, and before you go any further, I'm not look, I don't care about, I want to know about this show and this show, and I'm just trying to kind of get a sense of what you've done on on a grander, not even grander, on a more blanket statement. Because a lot of people don't know. Yeah. There, there really is a lot of people that don't know what you personally have done. But yet, yes, we know Days of the News sold shit tons of records. We know Tantric sold shit tons of records. That's great. But what if I'm just trying to figure out what you've done. So if you don't want to tell a specific story, I don't really care. Well, I just th- want the blanket statement. This one I'll tell because it's funny and interesting. And, like- and I'm one of the few people who could probably make this claim. <laughs> or maybe I'm not. Uh, anyway, the Aerosmith thing came about, uh, the days of the news manager was a guy named Rick Smith Mm -hmm. and he was a college roommate. His college roommate was Steven Tyler. Gotcha. Um, so they were, I don't know how close the relationship was, but it was obviously enough to get us mentioned to Steven Tyler. And I don't know if it was done as a favor to our manager or if something else was worked out. Right. Anyway, we ended up in Boston, uh, playing. What's the venue there? Is it the Fleet Center? 
I don't know. It's probably Sounds called something familiar. different now. It's yeah. probably, but anyway, the big supermassive arena in Boston on New Year's Eve with Aerosmith, who's from Boston. No shit. So December 30th and December 31st of 97, I think it was, we got to open up for Aerosmith. Damn. Um, and the, the, it was great. Obviously it was great. Uh, my, our drummer, Matt got to kiss Liv Tyler at new, when the ball dropped at midnight. Oh, very cool. So that was, you know, he'll never forget that. Oh, I wouldn't either. That's awesome. That's cool. I mean, it was a really cool moment, but what'd you do last night? I kiss Liv Tyler. I win. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> you win all the time. Absolutely. You, you, you're, you, the you contest win every is over. argument. Yep, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, uh, what happened was, it, it, during this particular time in Aerosmith's history, they were super clean as far as drinking goes. Right. So if you were going to, if you were going to be part of Aerosmith's road crew, you could not drink. Right. If you're going to be an opening act, you could not drink. And I don't mean just at the show. I mean on your bus en route to the show, no one was allowed to drink anything at all, ever. Damn. They were very hardcore about it. Of course we were drinking. <laughs> well, of course. Of course we were drinking. Um, and we weren't even old enough to drink, but that never stopped us because it, that's who we were. Right. Um, but what we were in the dressing room, okay, and we wanted to sneak some beer into the venue. Right. We we wanted a few beers before we went on stage that night. So we tell our security guy, hey, listen, we're out to the bus. It was freezing cold outside because it's December in Boston. Oh, yeah. He's got this heavy jacket. Go put some beers in your jacket. Bring them into the dressing room. Okay? He goes out. He gets the beers. He's walking back to the dressing room. Two beers fall out of his jacket and break on the floor. In front of Steven Tyler. <laughs> I can't make this up. Steven Tyler was standing right there. Okay. <laughs> oh, so Steven shit. Tyler sees it and is, uh, he's livid. Oh, I would he's imagine. so mad. And he's like, who do you work for? And the guy was like, I work for, I work for days of the new. And so Steven Tyler marks, he marches straight to our dressing room. We're all just in there hanging out. And he motherfucks us up one side and down the other. <laughs> you people. This and that and this and that just cussed us out and called us everything but a white boy. I mean, it was like he really laid into us. And that's why I was saying probably not many people can say Steven Tyler cussed him out. That's very true. And he actually told us he was throwing us off the tour and we were not going to play that night. But he let us play because it was our last show anyway. And it was New Year's (laughs) Eve. And I guess he was feeling charitable. (laughs) But just the image of it, because I'm sitting there and I'm like, Holy crap, Steven Tyler's cussing me out right now. I'd never talked to him before that. Right. There was no introduction. It was just he marches into the dressing room and starts cussing me out and calling us everything. (laughs) The only reason I'm laughing is because it's just the thought of exactly what you just said. Motherfuckers are going to work day after New Year's Day and I'm getting cussed out by Steven Tyler. My life rules. <laughs> that's fantastic, sir. Yeah, it's it, it's a good story that uh, I that's one that I do remember very well, and I do tell from time to time, just because it's you know you can't make it up. Well, and experiences like that are ones that, while maybe it was slightly uncomfortable in the moment, 
it makes a great story. And Absolutely. it's something that, that I look back on and say, you know what? I was cool at one time. <laughs> I still think you're cool. I know, but you don't well, count. You're right. I don't count. I don't count for <laughs> shit. Well, that's like Dave's story. When he's talking about taking a piss next to Charlie Pride. Oh, no. Oh, listen. I got to tell you this. <laughs> I got to tell you this. Charlie Pride. All right. I heard Dave tell that story on your podcast. Right. Charlie Pride. I, I want to... Say I've never met Charlie Pride, right? And I I would love to, but but I I, I don't really know anything about him to be honest. But right. when I hear that name, my grandfather was a huge racist. I mean, world class racist. Hey. Okay, one of those dudes. One of those dudes. Ah, uh. but my granny loved Charlie Pride. <laughs> and let me tell you, there was. It, my my granny, no lie, that she kept a framed picture of Charlie Pride underneath her mattress so that my grandpa would not find it. No shit. She loved Charlie Pride, but my grandpa was such a huge racist. He, if he'd known that picture was there, he would have destroyed it. So she had to hide it. That's crazy. And when he told that story, I was like, I got to tell my Charlie Pride story. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome, though. You know, it's it's... That's the thing about the music business above and beyond all of the, you know, being on stage and being in front of people and having people think that you're cool or making money. You get to meet your heroes. Absolutely. If if you get, if you find yourself in the right spot at the right time under the right circumstances, you can meet people who, who you genuinely love and you can tell them that you can say, man, I loved this album. It meant so much to me. Right. And, and you know, some people are jerks when you approach them. Of course they are. But a lot of people take that as, you know, and, and they're very uh, gracious about it. Absolutely. I, I think, I think those of us that have been doing this for a while, whether they have gotten to the level that you've gotten to a level higher they stay at my level. It doesn't matter. I think a lot of us just take it for granted. And we take the small things for granted. In fact, you and I talked about that on your show, about, about telling small white lies and stuff. And you, yeah. you start to take things for granted. I'm not sure when this episode will post, but on my episode I did with Todd, I talked about emailing James Michael. James Michael is the singer for 6AM. Not only is he a singer for, the singer for 6AM, he is an actual producer. He produced a shit ton of records before he ever started singing for 6AM. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't say I didn't know that. I didn't know he produced as much as he did. He wrote songs for... So he wrote Saliva's first biggest hit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. And he produced the, the whole thing. So, But the point I'm getting at, I don't, I'm not a, a fanboy as far as that kind of stuff goes. But he said something in one of his episodes and I went, I'm, I'm going to email this dude and I don't care if he responds. He responded! So now I'm kind of pen pals, modern day pen pals with James Michael. And it's just cool because that's a small, stupid thing, but it means a lot. Yeah. Because I get to interact with this guy whose music did something for me. Same thing when I met Morgan Rose. We don't talk a whole lot. Morgan Rose is the drummer for Seven Dust. We don't talk a whole lot, but when I met him, we had this kind of immediate bond because we have, I don't want to say the same instructor, but sort of the same instructor, a drummer that helped both of us out. The guy that does the intros for my show, Tom Knight, Mm. he's a mutual connection between Morgan and I. And when I met Morgan, I walked up to him and I said, dude, you're going to love this. Or you might not. I don't know. I walked up to him and I said, dude, 
I've been a fan of yours for your obviously seven us, but a fan of your drumming for a while. Uh, you're really, really good. And I crossed that line and I put both of my hands on his shoulders and I said, but Tom Knight told me to tell you to go fuck yourself. And he started laughing so hard and he grabbed me and hugged me. And I thought I was going to poop. He squeezed me so hard. And I'm just going, dude, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he goes, sorry, man, sorry, man. How is Tom? And we ended up talking for almost an hour. And he, he, uh, what do they call it? Bus call. He waved off his bus call like three times. He's like, I'll be there in a minute. Because he was hanging out with me. And that stuff is cool to me. Yeah. That's a small thing that meant a lot. And I think we take it for granted. And that's why I kind of wanted to talk about, like I said, the blanket statement with you. The stuff that you've got to do. Um. I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. I don't care about the drama and shit. You tell me about that later. Some of it I already know. I don't care about that. I really don't. What was it like to play on TV when people watch TV? What was it like? I mean, that had to be kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, well, I, did you do Saturday Night Live? No. Squirrel. Let me, let me tell you what, though. Okay. Because I was going to say, everybody says Saturday Night Live sucks to play on. No. I we Saturday, Let me just say, let me preface it like this. Saturday Night Live, when I was growing up, was my favorite show. One of my biggest goals in my whole life was to get on Saturday Night Live. Really, I love comedy. Did not and, know that. And I, it's just a. Uh, I love Saturday Night Live. I don't really watch it anymore because I'm always gone on a Saturday night. <laughs> sure you feel my pain. I do. I do. But I grew up loving it, and we were scheduled. DVR, brother, get with the times. <laughs> That's too much work. I'm kidding. Go ahead. We, uh, but we were scheduled to do Saturday Night Live. Oh, you were scheduled yeah, to do we, it. Yeah, we were scheduled to do it. We got to New York. We were in a hotel room. We got a call. Said, hey, Madonna just called us and said she wants to do the show this week, so you guys are out. No shit. Yeah. So we were there, and we was, I was that close, man. But Madonna ousted us. She takes precedent, I guess. She is Madonna. <clears throat> she is Madonna. She is the queen of pop. So... Anyway, Saturday Night Live is one that I did not get to do, but I, I got to do Letterman. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when I did Letterman, it, the video is actually on YouTube. You can is watch it. it. Uh, I had a 104 degree temperature fever when I was on Letterman. And I was, it was horrible. Oy. And here's the thing. The song we were playing was Touch, Peel, and Stand, mm-hmm. which is about a four-minute song. We had rehearsed it a few times, and then we're getting ready to go live to camera. And they come up to me and said, Listen, this song needs to be three minutes and 20 seconds. So we had to say, okay, what 40 seconds are we going to cut out of this song? Right. Right now with no rehearsal time. And I got 104 degree temperature and he keeps it like an ice box in that studio or he kept it. He doesn't do the show anymore. Right. By the way, do you know he has a new show on Netflix? Yeah. Have you seen him? No. He looks like you used to. The full beard, right? Oh, huge beard. That's gangster. Yeah, it took me... (laughs) took me a second to realize it was. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. Go ahead. Um, so he keeps it like an icebox in there. Oh, yeah. he, kept, he and, and somebody asked him why they keep it so cold. Or, or somebody asked one of the crew guys mm-hmm. why they keep it so cold. And said that, that Letterman likes it like that because it makes the crowd stay awake. I don't know if that was a joke or if that was. But apparently he kept that studio cold at all times. I'm talking like in the 50s. Ew. Really cold. Um, I didn't get to really talk to Letterman. Uh, we played, I played Leno twice and Leno is a super nice guy. Nice. Would always come to the dressing room and, you know, shake everybody's hand. Like did not leave the room until everybody's hand was shaken. Oh, that's cool. He did it both times we were there. Um, you know, gave us each a gift bag 
to take with us. They oh, had very like cool. little hand signed. I've still got it at home. Little hand signed thank you note for being on the show. Oh, that's awesome. So Leno's class act for sure. Uh, we did Conan O'Brien. He's super tall. I'm sure everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but he's also a pretty good guitar player. Oh, uh, I did not know that. Yeah, and and uh, during the break, like before we were getting ready to play, he came over and strapped on one of the guitars and was messing around with it. Oh, very cool. Um. So yeah, but you know, those, those are stories that, you know, another, like when I told you my son's 18 yeah, or he's going to be 18 here in a few years after he has grandkids, y'all have grandkids. I won't be able to tell them these stories and they won't like, they're going to be like, who was David Letterman? What was TV? Why did people watch it? Right. You know, (sighs) technology has just changed the game so much that those stories aren't going to mean as much to a later generation. They're not going to realize the impact that an appearance on Letterman had. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I agree. Uh, it was huge. Well, it's kind of so. like I was explaining to one of my students about Elvis and the whole hip-shaking thing, and they wouldn't show him from the waist down. This kid's 17, probably the same age as your son, and he he li- literally looked at me like I had 14 heads. He couldn't, it just, it didn't register. Well, because he grew up watching Nicki Minaj. Absolutely. You know what I mean? He's like, what's a little hip shake? Yeah, exactly. And I tried to explain to him the best I could that it's a different time, dude. Yeah. You couldn't do that shit. That was a, no, 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 no. You just, and it just, in one ear and out the other. So one last question before we move on to social media issues. All right. Because this is a personal question I want to know. How much shit did you keep from all the tours? And the reason I ask is because I have done nearly nothing as much as you have. That obnoxious noise is all my lanyards. And that's all I've kept. I've got some pictures out in my garage of still band photos. No, they're not in front of a brick wall. Yes, I'm pointing at you. No, they were not on train tracks. (sighs) Got that out of the way. But that's all I've kept because I didn't have anything really, really cool. I have a couple frame things with some records I've done, but that's it. So I wanted to know as much as you've done, what have you kept? If you say nothing, I'm punching you. I I went the other way. I'm really not punching you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> It'd be in your interest not to. I know because you would beat the shit out of me. Um, I would never. <laughs> yes, you would. Unless you punched me twice. See? <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Anyway. What do you mean you've gone uh, the other way? I've gone the other way in that uh, not only did I not collect nothing, I collected everything. I really? Have, you kept it all? I have in my in my basement. Let me look around here. Okay. This dresser you have here. Mm-hmm. The first and second drawer, about that size. I've got eight trunks that size full of crap. Really? And one of them is almost all lanyards. Nice. I've got lanyards for days. So uh, you you kept all your lanyards. Yeah, I've That's got. Cool. Uh, well, I thought it was the actually, only fruit cake that did that. Actually, <laughs> I I kept all my laminates. The lanyards I didn't hang on to. I've got most almost all my laminates are on one huge key ring. Oh, I got you. And I've got them just all you know. Right. Totally um, coming to your house and digging through your shit. Well, you know, I talk to my wife sometimes because I'm like, why am I keeping this stuff? Why am I keeping this stuff? You should, because, man. Because after, here's the thing, though. After I'm dead, nobody's going to give two shits about what's in those trunks. I agree with you, but I'm going to put a bug in your ear to chew on your brain matter for later. It matters to you. 
Well, and that's why. Because yeah. that that doesn't make two shits to anybody. Stacy asks me all the time, why the fuck do you keep those? They're for me. They're not for you. Yeah. I'm dead. You do whatever you want to with them. Well, so you chew just, on that. And I do just don't you know. I've got, but it, literally I've got eight trunks and in those trunks are everything from, uh, I've got t-shirts in there that Metallica gave me. Nice. Like actually handed to me. You know what I mean? From Jason Newstead's hand to my hand. Oh, very to cool. my trunk. Right. Um, I've got, uh, all kinds of uh, CDs with uh, live show recordings. I've got posters. I've got uh, pictures. I don't really have many autographs. Right. Uh, I was always that guy who didn't want to ask for an autograph. I kind of am too. And if you look to your left, you'll see there's a couple there. Yeah. One's for me and one's for Stacy. And I got that first one, which is the top one, in 2000. And it was because... Rod Morgenstein and Mike Portnoy were in the same building at the same time. And I went, this will never happen again. I need to get these two to sign this drum head. Yeah. And then the other one, Stacy's a huge Three Doors Down fangirl. And I recorded the avant-garde dog record at Rivergate Studios, which is owned by Chris Henderson, who is in Three Doors Down. And I went, I'll probably never be in this situation again. Yeah. Let me get her a signed drum head. But I'm 100% like you. But I just don't want to ask for an autograph. I don't even want to ask for a picture half the time. I'm just like, dude, I met you. That's awesome. Have a nice life. Yeah. I'll probably never see you again. Not to mention, you know this as well as I do. I can't even imagine it on your level, but I don't remember 90% of the people I meet because I meet so many damn people. Yeah. I mean, I just did a show last night and I probably met 40 people I've never seen and I will probably never see them again. I can't, I just stopped trying to keep that shit straight. I think that's... So a, I get it. I think that's a... I think that is part of the reason that I can't remember people's names. Oh, I'm horrible with names. I'm hor- I'm really bad with names, and that's because from a very young age until now, I'm constantly meeting new people who I know probably won't have a significant impact on my life moving forward, and my brain just says, okay, their name was this, it doesn't matter. Say hello to them. <laughs> it's it, it, it sounds like a douchey way to handle it, but it's the truth. Like when I, Especially when I was touring, I would meet hundreds of people a night. Absolutely. They would all tell me their name. I would tell them mine. But I would never remember those names. And so now, even if I'm at a show and I have two people come up to me, I can't remember those two names because my brain automatically says it's not important. No, I I get it. And I don't think it's douchey because I will tell people straight up that have met me four or five times. Hey, man, dude, I don't remember your name. Yeah. I will tell them straight. I make no bones about it. If you get pissed, I don't care. And this is the same thing I tell my students. You have one of me. I have thousands of you that I meet. It's easier, way easier for you to remember my name than it is for me to remember all of your names. Yeah. When I explain it, it like that, people, they kind of go, oh, well, that makes sense. Where at first they kind of, well, you, I'm not significant enough for you to, no, I've met too many damn people. Yeah. And I can't keep it straight. Well, and when you get to a certain level, there will be people who will come out of the woodwork who will pretend like they knew you before. I I figured that and like you know I I remember this one guy in particular I'm thinking about I was I think we were in Wisconsin or somewhere up north and I was in Days of the New and this guy came out to the show and I didn't know him didn't recognize him and he was like oh man I see how you are man me and you we back in Charlestown me and you you sit in your bedroom smoke weed all the time it's like one thing I've never smoked weed with you and I know that <laughs> because I've never smoked weed. <laughs> That's how I know this. <laughs> That's fantastic. 
and, and like, but he was he was convinced I was somebody else. He was adamant that, about and, it. Yeah. And like he thought he had me confused with somebody else in our hometown, and thought that that person had gotten big, and he didn't know me, and he was accusing me of not knowing him. Right. But it's you know things like that happen, man. If you get to a certain level, people will come out of the woodwork. I I, I used to have people come up to me and ask me for money. Uh, like, I hey imagine. man, listen, hey, listen, I know you've made it now. Can I have five thousand dollars? Meanwhile, I never thought it was meanwhile, that bad. <laughs> meanwhile, I'm living on peanut butter. You know what I mean? Because when you, especially when you're first starting out, it doesn't matter how big your record deal is, that advance only goes so far. Absolutely. And and at some point, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta try to start making money from the other things, and and it doesn't always happen the way you want it to. Right. So. And eventually, the advance does run out. Oh yeah. And you got to pay it all back anyway. Exactly. That's why they call it an advance. So it runs out twice. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's just, a, you know, and for somebody like me who, as I think I've said before, I, admittedly, I'm pretty limited in my people skills as it is. Right. I'm, you know, situations like that, I don't do well in them. And I tend to try to avoid them. You know, and because I try to avoid them, people often think I'm a jerk because I don't go out and talk to everybody. No, I get it. But I just, you know, that's just me, man. I'm, I, I struggle with things like that. And people expect a lot of you when, you know, if they see you on Letterman one night and they see you at a show the next night, they're going to want to be your friend. Oh, absolutely they are. And, uh, I, I, which, I've... but I have to say that I think that speaks volumes to the character of this fellow you were talking about from 6am, James Michael. Yes. The fact that he took time to reply to an email speaks volumes about his character. Absolutely. Because let me tell you, I get emails all the time. I don't reply to any of them. <laughs> I don't reply to any of them. I don't reply to emails from my own band. And that's not a joke. They get mad at me because I, I don't I don't reply to emails. I know that. You've told me that because you've replied to a text to, from me a month later. Oh, yeah. I'm horrible. And I'll have to go, what the hell? I've already cleaned out my phone, dude. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. So. It's, it, and, and. So, but I just think that's part of who and what you are. I don't think that makes you a bad person. And there's no, I can say this from, from experience and from knowing you. There's no malice. There's no ill will. There's no none. malicious intent. There's none. It just. I'm really just a nice you guy. It's you one, are. It's one of the things I was telling you about the Alex Ramundo podcast. Yeah. It. it that I did with him. Uh, one of the things we talked about is, you know, I'm not a jerk. No, you're not. But I can come across as one I, pretty I, easily. I get it. Stacy accuses me all the time of being an <clears throat> asshole, and and I've I've said it on I'm a not, lot of. I'm episodes. not saying she's wrong. I'm not saying she's wrong either. But what makes people think I am an asshole is I'm just not going to sugarcoat to save your fucking feelings. Yeah, I'm just not going to do it. So enough of that crap. Let's move on to something else. Let's move on to social media issues. Alright, you've listened to the show. I do not need to preface this. So, what you got for social media issues? By the way, you're smirking, and I like that. It, no, it, it's not a smirk. I, I, I listen, like everybody else, like anyone else who is a thoughtful person that actually considers things instead of just <gasps> yeah instead of just <laughs> diarrhea of the mouth yes um i have multiple things that i don't like about social uh, social media um one of them is what it does to me or what it did to me 
I'm happy to say that I'm in Facebook recovery for almost two years now. <laughs> no, no political posts for almost two years. Um, Good job, buddy. Thank you. My name is Jesse. <laughs> you can join the ranks of my other friend, Todd, who just talked about the same thing. He is not posting political shit anymore either. I was very proud of him as well. Well, it's a, it's a no-win situation. <laughs> and they, I have... That's the thing. I... Now that I've uh, been converted and I've seen the light, <laughs> I would like to spread that light to my fellow musician brethren that I'm friends with on Facebook. Because there are a lot of guys that I'm friends with that have not gotten the message yet. I am not one of them. I'm not going to name names. You don't have to. You say whatever you but want. There but are, there are guys that are on social media, on Facebook in particular, that are intelligent guys. And I know this because I, I've spoken with them face to face. Right. You know, and some of them I actually have true relationships with, and I know them going back a long ways. Right. They're intelligent people, but they're somehow they're missing that message that what they're doing is not only not working, it's making things worse. I would agree. They're damaging the cumulative effect of all of those negative political posts Mm -hmm. is damaging the society at large. Right. We're like a bunch of chimpanzees, okay? <laughs> we really are. And and if you throw, if there's like a cage full of chimpanzees and you throw a bunch of hammers in the cage, they're going to start hitting each other with them. Eventually they are. They, they, it's very like true. They're, they're going to figure out, oh, this is a very powerful tool. How can I use this to my advantage? Right. And people think that social media is something they can use to their advantage, and very rarely it is. No, it's not. It, it, I mean, you can do it to plug your show or you can, you know, use it to, you literally can use it for what it's meant to, which is to stay in contact with your friends and family. Absolutely. Oh, hey, uh, you know, so-and-so, Abigail had a recital. Here's some video of her dancing. You right. know what I mean? And then grandma over in Iowa gets to see her grand, you know, her granddaughter dancing. Things like that. Sure. That's very helpful. Absolutely. But if you have any inkling of an idea that you're going to convert somebody because you strung a few intelligent words together, ain't going to happen. happen. I'm, I consider myself to be a pretty smart fella, but it took me years to learn that. <laughs> I'm a pretty astute guy. It took me years to figure that out. And, and consequently, not only am I not making political posts, I very rarely post anything anymore. I know. And, and I will, I will, give you an outside perspective of why I think it took you so long to figure that out. Because you are a smart individual. You and I have had plenty of conversations. I think it took you so long to figure it out. Same reason it took Todd so long to figure out. You're passionate about it. I get it. I don't agree with it because you know the three things I won't talk about on the show, but you're still passionate about it. Yeah. I understand. And a lot of times that passion overrides logic. It just fucking happens. It is what it is. It is what it is, and it is no longer for me. And I am very proud of you once again. Uh, so, but it's just such a, it's such an incredibly powerful tool, and that's the biggest issue with it, is that it. I've used this analogy before, but I'll use it again. You've seen Jurassic Park, long time ago, but yeah. The uh, what's what's the guy's name? Jeff Goldblum. The Jeff Goldblum character. You like how I did that, don't you? Yeah, I do. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but. There's the line that he says in there that you get, you know, he says, you guys were so concerned about whether or not you could do this. You didn't think you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should do this. Right. And that's what face. That's all Facebook is. People are so excited that I can do this. I can broadcast 
every thought I have to millions of people. Mm-hmm. But should I? Mm-hmm. And it's the should that always gets us. I'm not throwing you under the bus. I just know for a fact because you told me you haven't listened to this particular <clears throat> episode. But in episode three, I did. I talked about dirty laundry. People that air their dirty laundry. No, you should not fucking do that. But everybody does it. I agree with you. Yeah. Do not do that shit. Because you're going to get nothing out of it. Nothing. There's no reason for it. There's there's no... Like when you think about, you know, what what's your potential? What, what would be your goal? What's your potential outcome that you're hoping to achieve? There's not going to be any personal growth. Nope. You're not going to convert anyone else's opinion. Nope. Everybody's stuck in their own tribe and you're not going to pull them out. Nope. No matter how carefully you craft some argument and wrote, write it down, there's going to be some guy that's going to write, America. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, somebody's going to write something just to oppose what you said. America. Fuck yeah. Yeah. That's what's going to be. It's, it's no. because they will counter. If you, if you make an intelligent argument, people will counter that with an unintelligent, uninformed argument, and they'll still think they won. Oh, absolutely. So there's no winning for you, and there was no winning for me. So that's my social media issue. I'm I'm just done with that. Okay. I like Don't it. try to force me to do it. So what do you think? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to stories from the stage. All right, so what do you got for me, Stories of the Stage? And this had to be hard for you because you have played a shit ton of shows. But purely coincidentally, this is payback for the questions you asked me on your show. Because hey, you had to make me pick some favorite shit, and I hate picking a favorite anything. So I made you pick one story. Well, <laughs> or it, you can do two. You can do as many as you want. But I mean, if, it, if, if it's one story... Um, Obviously, if I sat here for a long time, I could come up with many, many stories. Absolutely. But I, I'll tell you the one which, that comes for the to record, mind. you can come back anytime you want. Well, I appreciate that invitation. Absolutely. Always. Um, as long as you've got coffee, I'll come back. Everybody knows <laughs> if I'm awake, there is coffee in my house. <laughs> so let me ask you this qualifier here so I make sure I'm answering the question correctly. Yes. Stories from the stage. Do I have to be the one playing on the stage for it to be a story from the stage? Mm, that's a great question. You have made me think of my own rules. No. And the only reason I will tell you no is because Chris Evans, his episode happened after they were on stage. Okay. And that was his story from the stage. But as long as it is you were in close proximity and involved in some way, then yes. Or they know you don't have to be on stage, but you can tell the story. Yes. Right. Well, unless it's just really fucking good and you just want to tell it. <laughs> I, I, this really was difficult because uh, I didn't. They're hard to do. That's the only one that I ask everybody and they go, I don't know how to answer that one. Because yeah. I've got either I have none or I have too many. Well, I have too many. I know you do. I have too many, and and to be honest, a lot of them. It's difficult for me to to remember them. I, I, dude, you know? I get it because it's not the type of thing, especially in my in the modern version of my life. 
I don't sit around talking to my wife and kids about crazy times on stage. You no, know I, what I mean? get it. They're not stories I tell often. Right. But one thing that comes to mind is I was not on stage, but it's, it was during the Metallica tour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Metallica had these two security guards. And I mean, Big and bigger? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> no, these were some, these were like, if you were ever going to meet somebody in a dark alley, these would not be the guys you would want to meet. So huge and huger. They, they, and that's the thing. I'm not a huge guy. One of the guys was considerably bigger than me. Right. One of the guys was smaller than me, and I was more terrified of him. Damn. He had, <laughs> he had this face that, you know, some, some guys just have a face. I get it. And you just, you look at him and you think, I don't think I'll mess with that guy. Under any circumstances, <laughs> I don't think I'll mess with that guy. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no real big punchline to this story, but it's one that comes to mind. I mean, it's, it's a, it sticks in my head. Right. There was, we were at, uh, we were playing this place called the gorge, which is in Washington state. Gotcha. So like a stage set up and there's a huge Canyon behind the stage. Beautiful, it, beautiful venue. Is it kind of like uh red rocks in Colorado concept wise? It's, it's that grand. Yeah. It's concept wise. It's a natural location. Gotcha. And it's beautiful and it's grand in scale. Nice. Um, beautiful place. We were playing there with Metallica and we had already played, obviously Metallica was on stage. Somebody was in the crowd and threw a glass bottle at the stage and it hit Jason Newstead in the head and it broke and it actually drew blood from his head and he was all right, but it drew blood. Right. So everything got crazy after that. It was like they, they shut the show down. And James was like, you point out the son of a bitch that's responsible for this. Right. And everybody in the crowd, you just saw the crowd open up. <laughs> and there's one lone dude. And there's dude. one dude. This one poor, unfortunate soul <laughs> just realized how bad he'd messed up. You know? And as soon as the crowd went apart, like, it literally, it opened up like a sphincter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in that, just like huge circle. Yep. And the guy was all alone. And, and you saw, you watched this. Oh, I was on the stage. Oh, nice. I was on the side of the stage. You were on side stage. Side stage. Yeah. Nice. Not, not performing, but I was side stage. No, no, stage. no. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. I watched every one of those shows. And most of the time, oh, I was beside right. the stage. Oh. So, and I saw that guy out there by his lonesome. I was like, holy crap, I wouldn't want to be that guy. But then I just, I figured out I really didn't want to be that guy because the two security guards come flying, running from the back of the stage, dove off the front of the stage into the crowd, got that guy, drug him behind the stage, put him in the back of the van, and I never saw him again. The van drove off, and nobody ever talked about where it went. (laughs) And I I just remember looking around like, you know, I wouldn't want to be in a van out in the middle of nowhere like this with anybody, let alone those two guys. Because those were scary guys. And let me guess, they just randomly appeared later on, those two guys. Like nothing happened. Like Exactly. Like nothing happened. And I'm sure they just took him to the local police station. Oh, absolutely. And and said, this gentleman disrupted our performance. (laughs) And we would like you to reprimand him appropriately. I'm sure that's what happened. Sternly, if necessary. Yes. yes. <laughs> no, dude, it was. That's awesome. It was scary. It was truly scary. And saying this made me think of one more story that I'll include if you don't mind. 
Take all the time you want. So this also took place on the Metallica tour. A lot of these things, any story that I have that's going to be interesting is going to be taking place in Days of the New Tantric. No, I get it. Because the Louisville Crashers, as talented and as entertaining as we can be, we're so boring off stage. it's not even funny. I actually have to agree with that. You guys are pretty boring. I'm just saying, we, but we like it that way. It's the reason we've been together for 10 years. You know why I can say that and not feel bad about it? Because you've seen me play and it's flashy and it's all that garbage that I do off stage. I'm pretty boring. Well, <laughs> I read books and drink coffee. It's not a bad life. Oh, hell no. <laughs> so you're not going to hear any wild, crazy stories about the crashers. We have no exploits. You Unless know you mean? go on a cruise ship. Would you quit it with the cruise ship? Why? I, it's funny. I just had a couple of drinks, man. I bought the drink package. I didn't want it to go to waste. <laughs> For those of you that haven't checked out Jesse's podcast, which you need to do, he throws himself under the bus about uh, drinking entirely too much on the Crasher Cruise last year. Yeah. And I thought it was funny because I've never known you to drink that much at a sitting, and you drank that much over a week. <laughs> yeah. It took a while. That's why it's funny to I me. I was getting the silent treatment from my liver for a while. <laughs> it was pretty mad at me. Um, so anyway. So anyway, the this second o- this story. This other story yes. uh, also has to do with drinking, peripherally. <laughs> Um, so we were in, um, we we were on the Metallica tour and we were in, I want to say Dallas, Fort Worth, but it could have been some other city in Texas. Right. And the night before the show, Matt and I Mm -hmm. went out with some people and really, really, really tied one on. I mean, tied one on. (laughs) And that means... You know, it, it, sure, that means something coming from me. But when I say Matt Tall tied one on, I mean he tied one on. Oh, uh, gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So we get back to the hotel, you know, eight or nine the next morning. You know, we're, we're pouring out of the limo. <laughs> we get a few hours sleep, and then it's time to go to the venue. San Antonio. It was in San Antonio. And I remember that because it was the middle of the summer. And it was 106 degrees. And it was an outdoor show. And we had been drinking all night. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Let me tell you what happened. Okay. I'm not laughing because I see where this is going. I'm laughing because of the look on your face. These are the days I want a camera in here. Carry on. So Matt, who people have different opinions about Matt. Right. As far as his drum playing ability. I, being someone who grew up with him and played with him more than anybody else, I know he's a fantastic, amazing drummer. Right. But he's like a Picasso. You know, you look at his drumming and you either think, oh man, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, or you think that is crap. I I get it. It's like you either love him or hate him, but I love his playing. And he's playing. We're, We're playing the show and we're coming up on the last song, okay? We're playing the last song. And he's just, it's 106 degrees. He drank all night long. He's sweating like crazy. He's playing a beat. He comes around to hit the last big thing. He hits the cymbals, the big crash cymbals and the kick drum all at the same time. The song ends and it's great and everything was perfect. Stick still in the air. He turns around. Projectile vomits. All over Lars Ulrich's kit. 
projectile <laughs> vomits all over Lars's kit, and Lars has to play that same kit in an hour. Oh, you serious? I would not shit you. And that and it, Lars's rig was not covered. No. Oh. No, it was not covered, and it was directly because of the way the stage was set up. It wasn't like we set up in front of Cantrell and Cantrell set up in front of Lars. Matt's kit was directly in front of Lars's kit just because of the, the layout of the stage. Right. And when he turned his head, he projectile vomited, and it was nasty. Oh. It was chunky and liquidy, <laughs> and it went everywhere. Please tell me that was that didn't get you kicked off the tour. It did not get us get kicked off the tour, but it Lars, there were some consequences. Lars was not happy. You think? I mean, but here's the thing: at that point, we were established enough in the tour already. We had a very good rapport with Lars. He had spent quite a bit of time imbibing with us himself. Like he he was no stranger to partying, and he had partied with us. Right. So. He, I think he sort of understood, but still he had puke all over his drum kit. Right. <laughs> so there's no, there's no turning that into a happy story for him. No. <laughs> so, and of course our crew guys and the Metallica crew guys and everybody had to go and clean the kit off as soon as possible. Oh, absolutely. Because Matt pretty much passed out immediately afterward because he, he was playing in 106 degree heat and he had drank all night. So they were in charge of cleaning it all up and it was not pretty. Yeah. I got, damn, that's, Mm. I'm like visualizing it. That's fucking crazy. And not to mention fucking gross. Cause I get a beer or a Coke spilled on anything on my rig. I freak out. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't imagine somebody, I would just burn them. (laughs) You know what? I don't want that rig anymore. I'm done. It was an ugly scene, man. Oh, it's gross. So with that, we're going to, I'm just going to move straight into, uh, what am I listening to? All right. So what do you, what do you got for me? What are you jamming on or vibing to if it's a podcast? I don't really care either one. Cause I know you're, a fan of podcasts. I'm a huge fan of podcasts. Um, and there are several that I like, but I'm not going to say them because I picked music. Uh, fair enough. I went with music um, because I, obviously I'm a big music fan. No. What do you know about music? Not much. <laughs> not nearly as much as I pretend to. That was a softball pitch. You like that? I do. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so the I'm going to go with the standby that I've been hooked on for probably two years. I've been a fan my whole life, but the last two years I've been addicted to Joe Jackson. No shit. And I don't know. A lot of people here in the States aren't familiar with him. I say Joe Jackson and they're just like, what? you know, they, they think I'm talking about Michael Jackson's dad. Right. Uh, no. <laughs> but Joe Jackson is... Um, the first two albums in particular, uh, Look Sharp and I'm the Man, are um, just, they're amazing. They are, if you, especially if anybody out there listening to this, if you are a drummer or you are a bass player, you should go listen to those first two albums. 
because the music that's played there, Graham Maybe was a bass player on all Joe Jackson stuff. Gotcha. And he's phenomenal. I've heard that name. And um, that is the way a rhythm section relationship could should work. Right. Because over the course of those two albums, they play a lot of different kind of stuff, a lot of different styles. There's there's reggae feeling stuff and like ska, punky, hard rock, ballad. There's all kinds of stuff that goes on on the course of those two albums. Right. And they do it all great. They do it all perfectly. Nice. And Joe Jackson is no slouch and he's amazing. I love his songwriting. I love his voice. Um, he's perfect by himself. Right. But anybody who's a fan of drumming or bass playing should listen to those first two albums. All the way through, no interruptions, good headphones, however you listen to good music. Don't listen to it on your iPhone speaker. I agree. Because I will <sighs> kick you in the butt. I it's agree. It's like, it's so horrible. Listen to it on a good system. Go to Howard Jitley's house. He'll play the vinyl for you. Oh, uh, yeah. And Honest. it'll it'll sound Big amazing. Speakers. Yeah. So mm. that's what I'm listening to. But to be honest, it changes. Like with everybody, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, I've been on a, a, a kind of a Steely Dan kick lately. Mm. Um, something that people might not expect is I'm a, a huge fan of uh, chick singers. I love Regina Spector, Fiona Apple, mm-hmm. Feist, um, Missy Higgins. I, I love all that stuff. And my wife doesn't appreciate it. She says I'm listening to, she calls them, uh, oh, you're listening to those howling women again. <laughs> Those howling women. <laughs> but it's, you know, the thing Stacey is. Stacy calls it when I, because I, I have an appreciation for female singers too. And when I get to the rockier side of stuff, she goes, oh, look at you listening to them angry bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, Sorry, it, it makes off. sense, especially if like somebody like me, you know, if I'm going to appreciate music for its capacity to convey an emotion to me. Mm-hmm. Women are far better suited to do that than men are. Absolutely. I mean, unless you're Steve Perry, you know, you're not going to sell an emotion to me if you're a dude. It's very much, much, much harder for a dude to do it. I agree. Just throwing something at you. Check out Angie Apparel. I've heard you talk about him. He's, he can convey emotion like that. And it's, it's very hard for dudes to do, but he's, yeah. he's kind of that way. And there's another dude. Let me tell you this. You're from Atlanta, right? Ish, yes. Atlanta-ish? Yeah. You're familiar with Smith's Old Bar? I've played there a few times. Okay. My buddy, a guy named Scott Southern, I think he was the house guy at Smith's Old Bar for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, sound guy. Mm-hmm. And there was a band that came through there probably 2003, 2004, and he recorded their show. I have a copy of that show in that bag right there. And I'm going to have you steal that off of the CD and keep it in your system because I want you to listen to it. And I say that because based on the podcast that I've listened to you, the way that you talk about music and Mm -hmm. the way that you value music, Mm -hmm. I think you'll get a lot out of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you have that disc. I'm not going to let you have that disc. I'm going to let you burn the songs off of it. Take, steal the songs off of it because I think you will appreciate it. I don't share it with very many people because I think there are a lot of people who won't get it. I think you'll get it. Okay. It's awesome. It's amazing. What's it's the name of the band? The name of the band is Buchanan. They're from LA. They're defunct. They, they, and I, I actually listened to their album that they officially put out and it was crap. It was schlock. This live version that my buddy recorded is amazing. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Check it so don't let me leave without getting that music because oh. you'll, you'll have a serious appreciation for it. 
Nice. So, but anyway, that that's music for me. That's what it boils down to. Joe Jackson steals the cake, especially the first two albums. There's a lot in there on all the rest of his albums that people could appreciate. You know, right. I think his biggest hit came around like the fourth album, something like that. But it's the first two albums. Seems vaguely familiar. I, I will trust your judgment on that better than mine. You should spend some time listening to it. I will because I don't know if you saw it. Um, and I've I've talked about it on a couple of episodes. But we did the uh, Carl nominated me for the ten album challenge, ten life changing albums. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw that on Facebook. We a bunch of us did it. Um, but anyway, I have a hard time picking a favorite anything. But I found once I got into that kind of rhythm of going, well, this record did it. Now I'm getting to where I'm going backwards and peeling away my jadedness, my self-admitted jadedness, mm-hmm. and I'm starting to go back and find different shit that I've ne- I haven't listened to or stuff I haven't listened to in years. So yeah, I'll definitely check out the Joe Jackson stuff for sure. Oh, it's worth it. It's worth your time. Oh, for uh, well, I don't doubt musically. I don't doubt you at all. That other stuff, yeah, I'm not real sure about that shit. But I'm going to give you a, a podcast. Okay. Because I I. Uh, I've listened to, I'm completely caught up, but when I found it, I listened to seven episodes in two days. And that is the James Michael podcast. Oh, Which okay. is called Jamcast. All right. And the reason I want you to check it out is because, first of all, he's, he's pretty real. And I'm not necessarily just pumping him up. But the shit that he talks about and how he decided that he was going to do a podcast and why was really cool. But he talks about his side of the business on the million dollar scale, basically, what you and I were talking about. Yeah. Because without giving away too much, he talks about, I've lived in mansions that had elevators and six AC units. He said, what the fuck does a human being need that much shit for? It's that kind of talk. Yeah. And then he has DJ Ashma on there, which, do you know who DJ Ashma is? Guitar player. really Creatures? Fucking high five in a microphone. You know how many people don't know who that band is? Little known fact, Beautiful Creatures opened for Tantric for about six weeks on tour back in 2002. No shit. Something like that. They were always very nice guys. I don't know a whole lot about them, but very nice guys. I have the first Beautiful Creatures record. I don't didn't really care for the second one, but I have it. And I mean physical copy. I have right. the first one. Fucking great band. So then you know who DJ Asp is. And it, of course he was in 6AM too, but he had him on the show but it's just a really it's an interesting look for someone like me who has wanted to get to that level and it's a peek behind the curtain and for someone like you who has been at that level it's still a peek behind the curtain yeah so i think you'll dig it it's called the jam cast i'll check it out i think you should i think you'll dig it well that's it kids that's the show for the week anything you want to add uh mr vest i just like saying your last name vest i'm good take it easy cindy you your hand off my leg sorry my bad. Can I put my hand on your foot? Oh, dude. Damn it. I'm a married man. Happily married man. I'm happily married too, but you're kind of cute. You need to get out more. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I appreciate you coming by and spending time with me. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Anytime. My door is always open. Yes, I will always have coffee. Everybody knows that. I don't. If, if coffee were to cease to exist, so would O'Reilly. He'd be toast. I'm out. I'm done. Uh, I hope you guys learned something about a Mr. Vest. I uh, I had an enjoyable conversation with you. I learned shit, as I always do. Uh, I hope you had fun. I hope you had fun, Jesse, hanging out. And I hope you will come back. I, I, I do always say that I want people to have an open invitation, but I actually really do want you to come back. 
Because I think I just want to do a whole show of you just going through shows that you remember playing. Because I think there's some cool shit in there. Only because, and you can tell me now it won't hurt my feelings, but only because of what we were talking about earlier with the the newer generation that just won't appreciate that shit. Yeah. There's still some people, and there's some fans of my show that, that will appreciate that shit. Because you've seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I think it's amazing. Well, I'll come back, man. Awesome. We'll, we'll work it out. You have your people call my people. I, I will. I'll have my butler. Yeah. And to get that reference, you have to listen to Jesse's episode. So on that, we're out of here. I, uh, I hope you guys learned something. And as I say at the end of every episode, go do some shit. Seriously, go. Fuck out of here. Jesse, tell him. Get out. Get out. Get out. Go do something. Anything. Go outside. It's almost summer, people. So until next time, I will talk at you soon.